Hello and happy New Year's from the Road to the Garden podcast. We did it. We got through 2022. We're into 2023 and uh, New Year kind of started with a bang in the Big East. We got, we got some good games on the way out. Uh, some interesting storylines right off the bat here in the new year. And uh, I think this, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. Happy New Year to all of our Road to the Garden and Big East fans. Um, we are primed for an outstanding new year. Uh, before we get into this, just a reminder, uh, if you're if you're looking to go to any Big East games this year, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download the wrap, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. Use that. Go get yourself some Big East tickets. If you want to go see your team, that's the perfect time to do it. Uh, also, just a reminder, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more info. Tommy, I know we got some storylines to talk about here, but I know I think we wanted to start off the new year with some New Year's resolutions. We picked some for uh, for each of these teams in the conference, and I think we're just going to go through them and talk about what we want to see from them this year. Yeah, I like that. Two professional ad reads. I wish we were sponsored by Pedialyte. I know me and a lot of other Big East fans uh, could use some after these holidays. But, yeah, there are a lot of teams that, that are primed for some good New Year's resolutions. And let's just let's get right into it. Which which one do you want to start with? Uh, you know what? I think we'll just kind of go – we'll just pick them. I think you're up first here. We can alternate and just pick any from the list that you have there, any of the ones that you like. All right. I'll start off with a fun one uh, for Creighton. I have Creighton Ooh. on my end, um, and it's to stop kissing girls with mono. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's to get back on track offensively. Ryan Kalkbrenner needs to stay healthy. Um, he, you, you see how important he is to this team when he's out there. Um, they are a good offensive team. They've scored 90 points in four out of their first 14 games, uh, all with Kalkbrenner in the lineup. When they went on their real bad losing skid, it started on offense. Guys like Farrett Bellow have been underwhelming. Um, they are figuring out these two games. They scored 78 and 80 points, respectively, being Butler and DePaul. Um, but they need to get back into a groove, and Doug McDermott is a coach that can do it. Um, although they finished sub-100 last year in Ken Palm offensive finish efficiency, that was McDermott's first sub-50 season since 2015, so – McDermott's a good coach. They have everything that they need. They just need to get back on track offensively, and everything else will figure itself out. I like it. I like it. I think we, I'm going to stick at the top of the conference here and go with the number four team in the country now, the UConn Huskies. My New Year's resolution for them, take a chill pill in general. First of all, that applies to Andre Jackson here, who fired up 12 three-pointers against Xavier, and I know we're going to talk about that game, but he took his, almost as many threes as the entire Xavier team, I and mean, he is not a good enough shooter to be doing that. And I think this applies to the whole team. I think they're a really good basketball team. They are one of the best in the country. They probably just need to get back to business and calm things down because they've had a couple games in a row here that I don't. I think they've gotten away from what it is that they like to do. This lesson also applies to Dan Hurley, who got himself yeah. a nice little technical at the end of that one for no real reason. Uh, and it was probably a, a, we saw a lot of technicals this weekend in the big East, the, the DePaul Providence game had, I believe five of them. Wow. So yeah, as part of that's big East officiating, but also it's college basketball has bad officiating. You need to be able to control yourself at the end of games. And Dan Harley is a very good coach. I don't want to see uh, UConn end its season prematurely because something like that happens in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, as soon as you said chill pill, that's exactly where I went. <laughs> the T wasn't the reason UConn lost, but it's just inexcusable from Dan Hurley, a veteran coach. You, yeah. you just can't have that. Um, moving on, I'm going to go to St. John's. In really a tale of two seasons here, um, all in one season. <laughs> so my New Year's resolution for St. John's and the Red Storm is to stop the bleeding and quickly. Um, I didn't watch a whole lot of that mic'd up game. Um, but when I did Mike Anderson's performance on the sideline as compared to Sean Miller's was like borderline comical. Mm -hmm. uh, they started the year 11 and one 
and they've lost three straight and their upcoming schedules not easy it's marquette providence yukon butler nova those are five games that they can lose and they've yeah. lost three in a row already so you can't lose eight in a row you need to win at least one at bare minimum one of those games if not two or three you mentioned that game against xavier i'll put my my xavier resolution here it's pretty simple just keep scoring this offense is unbelievable. With an offense like that, you can beat literally any team in the country as an offense good enough to win a national championship. Keep it going. Keep playing like that, and Xavier's going to be playing for a long, long time this season. They should be playing into late March at the the earliest. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely like that. Um, here's, a, here's a fun one for Marquette. Right. I have no New Year's resolutions. For Marquette, I think they just need to keep on doing what they're doing. And I'll explain. So as bad as the University of Texas is, just as a whole athletic program, their softball coach giving people the bird, Steve Sarkeesian flipping out on game day staff, and the mess that is Chris Beard. <laughs> oh, my God. Shock is smart coming from that. Um, although it was a mess, he had everything he had, albeit the controversial recruiting style influenced by that athletic department. But aside from that one year at VCU, Shaka hasn't found much success in March for this year to be different. I think Marquette just needs to keep playing like they're playing right now. They have all the ingredients they need in a recipe to make them. They have the star power, Cam Jones, and Oso Iguodaro, the role players that step up. I think Kolick is the best passer in the country, and that might be a hot take. It might not be, but just He's watching him again. Yeah, definitely. Watching him against Villanova was mesmerizing. Stevie Mitchell knows his role, comes off the bench, uh, plays outstanding defense, and he can pop off like he did against Villanova. He had a career high. So I think they just – the coaching needs to stay true, and I think they can make a run to the Sweet 16 like Providence did last year, maybe beyond. Ooh, yeah. I like that. I like everything about that. Uh, I'm going to must go to a team here, the only team that Marquette has lost to in the Big East so far, and that's the 4-0 in the Big East, Providence Friars. I think the message here is going to be similar to Marquette and similar to what Marquette has done this year, and that's player development. Keep getting these guys going. Friars' top two scorers right now are both sophomores and Bryce Hopkins and, and Devin Carter. I think both of these guys can take their games to a level we haven't even seen yet, too. And if they're able to keep developing, and these two guys can become can be better players in two months than the guys we see right now, I mean, with the guys we see right now, this is a Providence team that can make a lot of noise this season. But if they take even another step during the season here, watch out for Providence. This might be a Providence team that could very well be ranked and could be playing with some of the best teams in the country if those guys do do reach that, that top potential. I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. And you went with your team, so I'm going to go with mine. My Villanova New Year's resolution is to pick up a signature win and to hold the water until Justin Moore comes back. I mean, right now, they can't wait for Justin Moore to get back and to assume everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies when he's back. And this all starts with defense. Um, I'm sick and tired, to be honest with you, of seeing Villanova get up on the RI, whoever they play. It was infuriating in that Marquette game to watch the ball go into the corner and Brandon Slater just stop. And I, I know that's what he's instructed to do, whatever. That's their game plan. It was their game plan against UConn. And you just let Andre Jackson shoot, which is a decent game plan. He's not a great shooter until he is. And then they beat mm -hmm. you. So you have to make those in-game adjustments. It all starts on defense. It looks like – you ever see that episode of Family Guy where Peter's playing that old-school double dribble game? He's like, corner three. That was all the Marquette game. That was the whole game. So – I mean, Villanova's in real danger of yeah. missing the NCAA tournament, which would be a failure of a season. So I, I, they need to pick up a signature win, and, and that all starts with defense. Yeah, I fully, fully agreed with everything you just said there. Um, I'm going to go over to uh, another team that I know we both, both kind of liked this season more than others, and that's Butler. Yeah. My message there is consistency. Butler is just, you never know which Butler team you're going to get. Michael DeRosa has a whole thread on it. This team has like a 20% three-point shooting differential between wins and losses. And yeah, part of that's if you lose games, it's because you shot worse. But there's a lot of games where you can kind of tell 
about 10 minutes in with Butler team, you're going to be getting their first three Big East games. They got out to a lead and then let the opponent have a run kind of in the, the second quarter. And that was it. And they can't stay with them. And that means you need you need consistency from these guys. They have a lot of players who can play. They don't have a lot of guys who do it, who bring it every single night. If they bring it every single night, they can play with just about anybody in the Big East and they can get some big wins. And they're they're in the 60s right now in the net. It was a Baltimore team that can absolutely make the NCAA tournament if it actually plays the way the talent says it can play. Yeah, and we'll get into we'll get into that one with Seton Hall one later in that recap. But I feel like Butler and Seton Hall are two of the teams in the conference that could legitimately win or lose any game on any night. They're just they need to find an identity. And actually, you know what? Let me just go into Seton Hall. They they do have an identity, and that's that scrappy defense first team that can compete with anyone. But my New Year's resolution for the Pirates. It's just find more consistency. The talent is there. They impressed me with that win over St. John's. I did not think that they had that in them from an offensive standpoint. When everything clicked, Kadari Richmond, Alamir Dawes, when everything clicked for them offensively, they looked like a very good team. And it's the same kind of story with Shaheen Holloway as it is like Kyle Neptune of Villanova. Just give them time. Uh, mm mm-hmm. At least for Shaheen, he's proven so far that he has what it takes to be successful in March. Um, but Seton Hall just needs to find more consistency, and I think they can make that push uh, for maybe that five, six seed in the conference if they figure it out. Yeah, and I had I predicted earlier this season I thought either Butler or Seton Hall would be dancing. Both of those teams still have a chance for that here, but. It's a giddy up and go time now. This is where you got to make a move. Those are the teams ranked sixth and seventh in the conference in the net too. So they're they're on the edge. They can do this, but they that's got to start happening now. My last team here is Georgetown, and the resolution is pretty simple. It's you get a new coach. I don't know what else you're going to say about this team. They clearly have talent. They have some young players. There's a lot of guys on this team who can be back next year. You need to start building that, and you need to start building that now. Uh, we're going to talk about the Georgetown Butler game a little bit later on, but yeah, Georgetown needs to find a new coach. Yeah, that was probably the easiest one of the three. Uh, it was either <laughs> find a coach or, or win a game. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of these seems, uh, I don't know if either of them seem likely at the moment. Yeah, very true. Um, but for me to finish up, I have DePaul. I'm a little bit higher on DePaul than most. I like uh, <clears throat> Tony Stubblefield. I like the talent on the roster. I was looking on Twitter. Was it you that had them ranked like eighth in the conference above Butler? For for the power rankings this week? Yeah. Yeah. DePaul DePaul got a win this week. And we did our power rankings before the Butler-Georgetown game. So just for context here. Because I would have put Butler back over DePaul after that. But St. John's has not looked good lately. Butler had lost three in a row at the start of conference play. uh, And got blown out by Providence heading into that. And DePaul got a win. And DePaul's getting healthier right now. Finally, I think Caleb Murphy... Should be playing sometime soon. And eventually, we're going to get Nick on Jenda back. So they're kind of trending. It's a bad loss to Providence, but they're competitive at points in that. And yeah, yeah, I, I don't a, think it's a DePaul team that can be competitive in the conference on a good day. That's actually a perfect segue into my New Year's resolution for DePaul. And it's stay healthy for Stubbs. Um, I'm higher, like I said, I'm higher on DePaul than most. They've been riddled with the injury bug all year. Uh, Murphy and Angenda were supposed to be key contributors. One more injury could be detrimental to this team, but I, I like the talent on the roster. I like the coach, and they could make that push for the the ninth or eighth spot, uh, a place that they're not familiar with, to be quite no. frank. Yeah, no, they, they can absolutely do that. We'll see what DePaul is made of as things keep chugging along here. But let's talk about the biggest story in the Big East this week, and that's UConn finally going down. The Huskies lose their first game of the season on the last day of 2022 at Xavier, and this was a a really, really, really good game. Tied 71 late, and then Xavier makes a run, gets a lead. You get the Dan Hurley technical, two free points for Xavier, and UConn just got 
cold. It was a 12-2 run that Xavier finished the game on. The Huskies made, I think, one of their last 10 shots. Eight of those 10 shots came from deep, and they didn't make a single one of them. I think four came on one possession in there. Might have been three on one possession, whatever it was. They got offensive rebounds. They got open looks for, I think, three different shooters. Nobody could hit the shot. What are your takeaways from this one? Yeah, on that scoring run, the 12-2 run that you were talking about to end the game, um, Xavier was 8 of 9 from the free throw line, which is exactly what you're looking for in a winning team, a team that is going to do this again and again and hopefully do it into March. Um, I don't think this game, although UConn's going a little bit cold, I think everyone can see that, it's not damning for UConn. I just think Xavier is that good. Um, The -hmm. rankings just came out, the new AP Top 25. I haven't seen them yet. Do you know where Xavier's at? They just came out like literally 20 minutes ago. Number 18. Number yeah. I said high I think I said high teens in the last podcast we did. So yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised they were that low. I would have had them in the top 15 for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think you were talking about it before in the in the New Year's resolution segment, but Xavier's offense is that good. Um this isn't a, a damning loss for UConn. It was a winnable game. Um, but these two teams, I think, are in a tier of their own in this conference right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. What Sean Miller is doing with that offense is ridiculously impressive. I've been so wrong on Sule Boom. I was not optimistic on him coming into the year. He has been fantastic. Colby Jones right now is on a very short list of players, averaging double-digit points, five assists, five rebounds a game. There's The last time I checked, there's only 10 of them in all of college basketball right now. So he's doing some really, really good stuff there. He might be gone after this year. He could be in the NBA. Uh, Nunji is the player of the week in the Big East this week, playing through some kind of an illness there in that one. And then Zach Fremantle had, I mean, comeback player of the year in the Big East after what he did. He had the double-double against UConn. Super, super impressive stuff from him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's between him and Soriano, and it's really a two-horse race for for comeback player of the year. I mean, it's just absolutely outstanding what's going on with Xavier offensively. And, and I think we, I think Justin Moore could also be in that conversation, depending on what happens. Oh man. Talk to me, Matt. Talk to me. <laughs> That's what I like no. to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, it's we'll see how much he actually ends up playing and whenever he does come back. But yeah, that's the other the other horse that I think could be in that race. But continue. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. I just don't know if he's going to have enough time. But back to Xavier, um, Nunji looked good. He had 15 points on five of eight shooting. Xavier didn't even win the battle on the glass. Um, they were outscored in second chance points. They lost the battle on the glass 38 to 31. Um, but what? Xavier really did that took kind of the game away from UConn was they scored a lot of points off turnovers. Um, they scored 18 points off turnovers and kind of dominated offensively in the paint 40 to 28 advantage there. So um, UConn's obviously very talented in the paint. There's not going to be a lot of games where they get out rebounded and this wasn't one of them, but it just goes to, it's kind of a, I don't know how to put it, maybe like a double entendre. It goes to show you how good, Xavier is on all aspects of the offense and how good UConn can be even when they don't have their best game. Yeah, and I think I, that points in the paint is very interesting for me about this one because with Adama Sunoco down there and Donovan Klingin and you know, Andre Jackson can fly around and block shots, you would assume that this would be a very, very good defense in the paint. I mean, Fremantle was working Andre Jackson at points um, on offense and Snuggle and Klingon were fine in this game, but Xavier got what they wanted down low, and that is a little bit shocking to me. I thought Xavier would shoot the, the three ball well. I did not think they were going to be able to go inside and have that much success. Uh, this is the most points that UConn has allowed in a game this season, and that by 10. It's not really that close. So, I mean, credit to the players for doing it. Credit to Sean Miller, and I think we're going to talk our game of the week here is going to be UConn at Providence. I think the real interesting thing about that is going to be, did, was there something that got put on a film in this one that other teams are going to be able to exploit? So there's an issue with UConn that other teams are going to be able to follow up on, or is Xavier that good? I think that's kind of the, the question for me out of this one. I think Xavier is that good. I think the real question is, is UConn a top five team, or is this more of a I don't know, top 10 team? And it's a, they're splitting hairs there. Yeah. But 
that right there is, and it, this is these are differences that are really only going to come up if this team plays like third weekend. Like this is stuff that matters when you get to the final four, and usually not earlier than that. Uh, one other note on this before we move on, I will say, I, I looked into this. I went through other other Big East teams that have ended up with one seeds in um, in March. Basically, every single one of them, I think every single one of them in the new Big East has had a road loss in the Big East around New Year's. All of them. Uh, Villanova did it back in 2018. Xavier was also a one seed. They lost back-to-back games on the road right after New Year's. Villanova was a one seed in 2017. They lost one on the road then. They were a one seed in 2015. They lost one on the road around New Year's then. So this is kind of, I guess this is where the speed bump occurs. You get out of winter break. There's enough time that you're established as a threat and people, yeah, you got that bullseye on your back and road conference games are always, always tough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What a stat. You really are the stat, man. You just come out of nowhere with this stuff. Um, well, I was I was, yeah. I was, was curious about that. And that's, the thing that was interesting to me is that Xavier team ended up with a one seed that dropped back-to-back games at, U, at Providence and Villanova first week of 2018. Or hmm. first and second week of 2018. I think it was like the 5th and the 10th of January. And I'm looking at a UConn team right now that has still has to go at Providence this week. Still has to play Creighton. Still has to go at Marquette, I believe, early next week. And it's UConn can drop two here. That would not surprise me. And it's not really a slight to UConn. I just wanted to see, all right, are there teams with a similar path that have ended up with a one seed? And there are. So I think we also shouldn't overreact too much to a couple losses here. Yeah, no, not overreacting a lot. I still personally think UConn's a top five team. That's a that's a very interesting. You said between the 5th and 10th of January, Xavier plays Nova on the 7th. I hope Villanova can pick up a win there. That's just my bias coming through. But, yeah, I really don't have anything else to add on this other than one guy I wanted to point out. Uh, new career high off the bench in 20 minutes of action for Xavier. That's Jerome Hunter. Um, yeah. He was 3 of 4, uh, shooting a 9 of 9 from the foul line, added five rebounds. He was extremely impressive, and he's going to be a key piece for this team if they're going to make a deeper run. And those depth minutes are so important. We know that Xavier's top five, or maybe as good as any top five in the country right now, the way that they're actually playing, getting your sixth and your seventh men involved is that's what puts you over the top. That's what can put you over the top. Uh, I think that's a good way to transition to this Villanova-Marquette game. Because I think it's a Villanova team that has struggled to get its depth players involved. Angelo Brizzy transferring, entering the portal there. So that just happened versus a, a Marquette team that has no issues getting depth involved. That's the way they win. Marquette goes into the fin on New Year's Eve and wins a game. They come back after being down at halftime, I believe, to pull that one out 68-66. And what was a very, that was a really, really good game. That was an entertaining ending to watch. Just a note on this one, Marquette is the first team to win two games, at, two, first road team to win two uh, games at the Finn in one calendar year since Providence back in 1993. Because they won back in January, they get this game in before December. Uh, Big East games happening kind of before the new year in a season is a somewhat new thing. So that's one of the reasons you have to go f- that far back. There was a stretch there where they didn't play games before the new year, but Kind of crazy to see a team go into that building in one year and win twice. And Marquette had never won in the Finn before before 2022 either. Yeah, I told you guys, listen to Matt. He's the stat man. You were texting <laughs> me that like during the game. I'm like, I don't want to look this up right now. <laughs> it's still a close game. Yeah, it was interesting that you brought up that um, that Villanova was up at halftime. They haven't lost a game while being up at halftime all year. And Marquette hadn't won a game while being down at halftime all year. And as soon as I saw that stat come on the TV, I was like, God damn it. Like, come on. You you knew what was going to happen. But, yeah, I mean, this was just another example of how this defense um, is really impacting this Villanova team right now. I I love Kyle Neptune. I love all the decisions he's been making regarding the starters. And you saw Cam Whitmore inserted into the starting lineup in this game, but he's not immune to criticism either. I think having Cam Whitmore on the bench during that stretch where Marquette made their run in the second half, was like an eight-minute stretch in the second half. Cam Whitmore was on the bench the whole time. That's inexcusable. 
he's the best player in that gym. He needs to be on the floor. Um, it, it, it's, it's unexcusable, inexcusable. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I, one of the other notes I had from this, I had tweeted out at the half, like, yeah, this Villanova defense has not looked great so far, but these guys keep shooting like this. It's not going to matter. Well, they didn't. 44 yeah. points in the first half, 22 in the second half. And I think this has kind of been that that's where the depth has been an issue for Villanova. They just haven't had guys that can consistently knock down those shots like in years past. And that was where Shaka was licking his chops. If he wants to get into a game with Villanova where it's a shootout, they're going to win that 10 times out of 10, not even nine times out of 10. They're going to win it 10 times out of 10. Villanova is not a team that can win games in a shootout. They're a slow down the pace, methodical offense. And, and going back and forth with Cam Jones, he came down and hit three threes in a row, and you're just like, come on. Every time Villanova scored, Marquette had an answer, and that's just not going to win you games in this conference. Yeah. And so. this is it's a Marquette team that is very prone to going on runs and a Villanova defense right now that is not going to offer a lot of resistance once a team actually gets hot, and that's been – this is the worst Villanova defense in the last decade. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like it. It looks like it too. It's it's not pretty. Um, so now, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, silver lining for Villanova. I mean, the first half was very promising. I felt pretty comfortable going into halftime that they were going to be able to not continue shooting the way that they were going to, but I thought that they were going to take over the game in the second half. They're usually better in the second half than they are in the first, but. Um, this was really a game that Villanova needed to win to put a signature conference on their resume because going to Marquette and winning Fiserv is extremely hard. Um, yeah. So you needed to get this one. They dropped it, and they're going to have to go streaking that because it's we. It might not matter by the time Justin Moore comes back. Um, yeah. This is yeah. this is the danger for Villanova right now is that this team really cannot afford to be losing games at home in conference play. Road wins are hard. You got to take care of the easy ones, and this isn't or not not even the easy ones. The ones in the middle that are winnable, which is exactly what this is. Marquette's been a better team than Villanova this year, but you're playing at home, so this is the one you have to get. Like you said, you're probably not winning the road one, so you got to find a way to get this one, and they didn't. And now it's you to offset this. You probably got to win a game that's going to end up being harder. You probably got to win a road game somewhere, or you got to beat UConn when they come to town. Things like that. Otherwise, a, a seven and three or eight and two home record in the Big East for Villanova, that might not get it done. You might not be a tournament team when all of a sudden none, unless you're picking up some big, big, big road win. So Villanova is in a very tough spot right now. I, I do want to talk about Marquette here for a second because that Marquette defense is also impressive. They held Villanova scoreless for nearly the last four minutes of this game and a game that was decided by two points. Um, and uh, coming back on the road at Villanova is always, always a tough task with that crowd environment. Stevie Mitchell was electric. Cam Jones was good. They put together what they needed to do to win this game. There's only two baskets in the last four minutes, only one in the last two minutes, but that one in the last two minutes was Marquette. And that's, that's all I needed. Shaka Smart prides himself on defense. So it was a huge win for Marquette. I was I was very surprised to see the Golden Eagles not back in the top 25. I wouldn't have dropped them out after the loss of Providence. With a win like this on the road, I would have put them right back in. I, I can't believe that they aren't ranked right now. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. They, they need to be ranked. And um, the Villanova loss was 100%. Marquette outplayed them. It wasn't, I mean, Villanova turned the ball over a little bit more than they usually do, but Marquette simply outplayed them on their home court. They played an outstanding game. Um, Osa Iguodaro, seeing him play, like watching a full game, like locked in, he's outstanding. The announcers mm -hmm. couldn't get over his play, talking about how he's going to be uh, in, in NBA town. I 100% agree with that. Um, I talked about it in the New Year's resolution a little bit. They have everything you need to make a deep run. And after being ranked ninth in the preseason coaches poll, they're making a lot of people look stupid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So credit to Shaka Smart there. Awesome, awesome stuff. Awesome job that he's done. Um, yeah. Let's run through just some of these these other stories quickly here. Uh, the other big story is going to be Georgetown. They lost twice last week. Follow DePaul in a close one. Get absolutely destroyed at home by Butler. Uh, I'm assuming, did you see the Hilltop Hoops stuff that was going on at the game? With the signs? Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. 
Shout yeah, out Hilltop Hoops, by the way. Yeah, awesome, awesome content over there. Hilltop Hoops guys, Georgetown Media, who cover the team, and also some some fans, alumni there. And some of the guys brought signs to the game saying, we need a new coach, and those signs were confiscated there. Uh, this is also, they've been kind of shadow banned from asking any questions at press conferences. They don't get called on anymore, even though they're a media org that covers them. This is why they've taken to bringing signs to the events, because they, they can't send a message any other way. And it's... I think it's pretty clear what Georgetown needs to do at this point. You just got absolutely embarrassed on your home floor by Butler in the first game of the year about the team that just lost earlier this week. Obviously, it's a desperate Butler team, but there's not that sizable of a talent differential between Butler and Georgetown. And quite frankly, I don't. there's only one game left with, with no coaching changes. There's only one winnable game left on the schedule for Georgetown, and that's when DePaul comes to town. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know how they don't see it. Maybe they do. And I, I was reading that Washington Post article with the Hilltop Hoops guys in it. And mm-hmm. they were talking about they have the money to to free Ewing from his contract. But I, yeah. I don't know. It's it's beyond me. Um, but for Butler, this was, a, this was a good win. This was a great win after that Providence game. I want to give some credit to Butler and Jaden Taylor. He had 24 points off the bench. Um, he looked outstanding, 9 of 11, 6 of 8 from deep. Uh, Manny Bates looked good, 15 and 6. This was an amazing bounce back by Butler. It's exactly what they needed. If you're not following Michael DeRosa on Twitter, go follow him immediately. He is a character and the half. His mannerisms from his videos <laughs> from after the Providence game to the one from after the Georgetown game are just night and day in contrast, and they are perfect in their own way. So, a uh, little road to the garden writer plug Michael DeRosa. I think it's Butler's only fan on Twitter. Um, <laughs> amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big win for Butler. Good, good to see them put it all together in a way that they hadn't done in conference play. Let's see how it translates to other opponents. And yeah, Georgetown, it's, I, it, this is a, it's a head coaching situation. There's a dead man walking at this point. I don't think anybody believes he could possibly be back next season. That cannot happen. And, it's just whether or not they're going to pull the plug now during the season or whether or not we're waiting until after this. If he comes back next year, that is that is malpractice of the highest order when it comes to running a college sports team. I don't think he should be back for the Villanova game on Wednesday. I mean, No, we, he, sh- he shouldn't yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. like, he really shouldn't be. It, it, the word you, malpractice, what it is. I mean, Georgetown has the talent. And you saw the reports that – in the locker room, the players were fired up. It's reaching a boiling point over at Georgetown. Somebody has to do something. This was a once proud program in Georgetown, and you're watching it crumble right now. It's it's awful. It's awful. Georgetown being good is great for the Big East, and they're not even bad right now. They're abysmal. Something needs to change, and it needs to change now. Yep. They're at uh, 242 in the net at the moment. Um, they have Give me some teams see. around them. Oh, let me uh, let me pull so this up. Here. I looking at the con- yeah, I'm looking at the conference ones. Let me get to the actual teams here. Give me a sec. 242. <laughs> I know you got to scroll away. So usually when we do this exercise of what are the teams around them, it's <laughs> a whole host of teams from small conferences. But no, no. Georgetown at 242 is sandwiched directly between the ACC's Florida State and the Big Ten's Minnesota. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm surprised Syracuse isn't lumped in there with like Louisville as well. Well, they're not quite that low yet. Let me let me see where really? Q's is in here. I don't think they are. I think they're in the mid 100 somewhere. Yeah, Syracuse is at 138. Syracuse has not been good this year, but they have not been Louisville bad. Florida State beat Louisville. So I where is Louisville in this? They they're gonna be check the threes. Yeah, three forty seven between Binghamton <laughs> and Central Connecticut. Two spots ahead of Merrimack. All right. My grandfather, shout out to him. Merrimack alum. That's amazing. Uh who's the team? Um Stonehill. Where is Stonehill in this? That becomes my next question. Because this is their first year at D one. They're at two ninety seven. Stonehill. No. <laughs> so how about this for you? Stonehill is one spot ahead of Cal. 
The Met is a funny ranking system, isn't it? <laughs> Cal is two and thirteen this year. The Bears lost their first, I believe, ten games, including one at home to Butler, which is still Butler, I think yeah. the most bizarre scheduling decision I've seen yet this season. Why anybody would do that, I have no idea. But yeah, that Cal program is abysmal. So Georgetown. Not the worst program out there right now, and not even the worst formerly proud program because you got Louisville and all that. But they are the one that decided to stick with their coach after seeing this exact same thing last year. Uh, it's just yeah. Dante Harris transferring out now, too. They can't keep talent. There's talent on this team. You have to make sure that talent stays for next year. Bottom line, you got you got to figure out something else. Here. Yep. There's nothing really much else to say. You just everyone knows what needs to happen, except for the Georgetown administration for some reason. So um, I'm surprised um, Syracuse is in the 130s. Jim Beheim is is on a fast track to driving that program into the ground like Georgetown. I mean, when people ask me he's why he's going to retire retired, soon, yeah. When people ask me why Jay Wright retired, I said, "Look at Jim Beheim. Look at what he's doing to that program up there. It's sometimes you you just got to let it go." Syracuse does have a win like at Notre Dame. They've got a win at home against the Cornell team that's actually in the top 100 right now. They smoked Georgetown too by nearly 20 points. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's that's where that's at. We'll just finish up with other Big East news here from the end of 2022 and beginning here of 2023. First story: Providence Friars keep rolling, four and zero in the Big East now for the first time in program history. They smoked Butler last week. Uh, that game was 9-9 in the early minutes, and then the Friars went on a 25-3 to run, I believe it was, and Providence completed the trip to the Midwest and DePaul, ended up handling DePaul with relative ease in a game that was very weird. Uh, Devin Carter in those two games had 21 and 22 points. I was a little He was our biggest player of the week. A little surprised to see him not get the nod from the conference with how he played. But Providence is working its way up. This is a top 50 team of the net now, a top 50 team in Ken Palm ahead of a game with against UConn later this week that we're going to be getting to. And I think the other story here, Seton Hall gets a, their first Big East win at home against St. John's. I think they looked really good in that game. I think this is that's as good as, as Seton Hall can look right there. That was that was a really nice performance to put together. We'll see how that translates against other opponents, obviously, but a nice moment there for Shaheen Holloway in year one. Yeah, for sure. Like I mentioned before, Seton Hall's really impressed me um, these last couple of games. I didn't think that they had it, and they're making me eat crow. So, especially on the offensive end, I, I always knew that they were good defensively, but they've looked much better on the offensive end. And and I'm a, as a Villanova fan, and I assume as fans of the cluster in the middle of the conference, I think. Providence is in the top of the middle tier or the bottom of the top tier in the conference. Mm-hmm. But teams like Providence, Villanova, Creighton, they're not going to want to play this Seton Hall team. This is a scrappy no. team. And if they don't bring their A, maybe B game, it, it's not even a trap game. It's a game that Seton Hall can just straight up win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Friars already picked up a win at Seton Hall. So I think that's actually huge for Providence that three of those four wins here to start off conference play have been on the road. I think. Based on the non-conference resume, Providence probably needs 12 Big East wins to go dancing, and they already have four. So a 500 record down the stretch probably gets Providence in, and if they do that, I think we're looking at a minimum of five teams in the dance. I think all the teams that are in the top 50 would make it in that scenario, and it would depend what would happen with Butler, Seton Hall, Villanova, uh, kind of the teams there on the edge, and St. John's too. St. John's hanging around. St. John's has not beaten a good team this year. So I, I don't think I don't think I can take that resume. They they're zero and four against I think Ken Palm top one hundred teams. Zero and three on the road. I might have those reversed, but yeah, zero and three on the road. Zero and four against top one hundred. And yeah, it's until you beat a good team, I can't really take anything about St. John's seriously at the moment. Yeah, their strength of schedule is up there. I think last time I checked, it was in like the three hundreds in Ken Palm. St. John's strength of schedule, at least their non conference, their non conference strength of schedule was. Um, yeah, it but was, yeah. They're not 338 is their non conference strength of schedule in Ken Palm. Out of what, 363? Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> no, no, not good at all. Um, what are we even yeah. doing here with St. John's? I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do we want to, do we want to get into talking about the, uh, the games this week? Cause we got St. John's immediately here in the, uh, the first game Tuesday night. 
yeah, let's just get right into it. All right, we'll shift gears. We'll look ahead to the schedule. As always, we'll have. I think we're going to have our Wednesday night show this week. It's going to be a late night show, but we'll have our Wednesday night show. So we're going to look here at the five games played between now and then, and that's going to start Tuesday night with a Marquette at St. John's game, 6.30 Eastern on FS1. This one, I think, could be a track meet. These are two teams that like to press and get out. St. John's always always one of the fastest teams in the country. Marquette is, I think, 82 in tempo right now. So you put the two of them together, and I think both teams just might end up in the 80s for points by default. (laughs) St. John's at home. I think, is this a must win for the Red Storm? I think it is. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it a little bit in the New Year's resolution section. Their next five games are all against decent opponents. I think Butler is their quote-unquote worst team that they face in there. But if St. John's wants to push for that sixth bid in this conference, an at-large bid, they need to start winning. They need to start winning now. has to happen with Marquette. Um, Marquette is a team – they can defend on a very high level, um, but they've been impressive on the offense and defense. So I, it's going to be really tough. I know St. John's is at home, but it's going to be really tough this game. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think – and this is uh, Marquette here with that trip to the East Coast, playing at Villanova, playing at St. John's. If Marquette can pick up two wins here, I think that says a lot about where that program is too. Again, can't believe they're not ranked. Um, I think I'd have to pick Marquette in this one too. I, I think it's a good matchup for St. John's. I think Marquette is just a better team here. Yeah. And they're, they're hitting their stride right now. They're eight and two in their last 10 games. And one of those losses was like overtime loss against Providence and knocked them out of the top 25 you know, questionably. I yeah. agree with you. I don't think they should be out of the top 25, but Marquette is battle tested. And that is one thing that St. John's is not Marquette has wins over teams like Villanova, Georgia tech, Notre Dame. So I like Marquette in this one, and if it's if it's a game that I think it could be, which is a Marquette double-digit win, um, it's going to look really bad for this Red Storm team. They need to stop the bleeding. They, they honestly, they have the talent. They have the defense, the backcourt play, Curbelo and Posh. They have the talent to win this game. They just they have to put it together, and it has to be this game. This is a must-win for St. John's. Yeah, it's funny. I, when I was watching the Xavier St. John's game last week, all I could think of was I'm not sure if you could draw up a guard who is a better fit for what St. John's does this year than Sule Boom. He came to the conference. He just didn't go to that team. And a guy who's a three-level scorer like that, who can knock down the shots from the outside and play in transition and all that stuff that he does, that is what St. John's is missing. They got a lot of pieces, but they have nothing that makes it work consistently in the half court. And this is, what, year three or four in a row of that being the case? I If you lose this game and it isn't close, then that Mike Anderson seat gets real, real, real hot in a hurry. Yeah, if it's not already hot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who's your pick in this one? I'm going Marquette. And I don't think it's that close either. And yeah. I like I like some of what St. John's does, but uh, they play the same style, and I think Marquette is just way, way better at it. And that's going to be the difference maker. Yeah, we're on the same page here. I'm a little nervous that I said double digits because we do have receipt keepers on Twitter that, <laughs> <laughs> that come after us, but we love it. Um, yeah. Hold it's- us accountable. But yeah, Mar- Marquette should win this game, and they should win it easily. The, uh, the late night tip on Tuesday, it's going to be Seton Hall at Creighton. This is a Creighton team that has not played since Christmas, so Blue Jays should be well rested. This will be the 8.30 Eastern tip again on FS1, so a doubleheader here Tuesday night on FS1 for the Big East. I'm intrigued to see how this Seton Hall team travels, if that defense can play well at Omaha, because this is a, it's a Creighton team that has struggled with turnovers. Seton Hall likes to force them. Um, I, I I think Seton Hall could mix it up and make this one more interesting than people might think. 100% agree. 100% agree. It's just going to be what Seton Hall team shows up. They, like I said, impressed me against St. John's offensively. Um, but if this Creighton team isn't hitting shots, they could be on upset watch. Um, they're projected to win 72 to 64 on Ken Palm. I think it could be closer than that regardless. Um, but I, I still do give Creighton the slight edge i mean they're just too talented 
They're just too talented. They're well coached. Not that Seton Hall isn't, but I mean, Creighton's just too talented. Yeah. And this, this feels like one of those games where Ryan Kalkbrenner will be the difference maker or Seton Hall might be able to get things going and, and mix it up early and make it, make it rough, make it difficult, force turnovers and score that way. But I don't think Seton Hall is going to score in Creighton in the half court. And I don't think they're going to have a good answer for Kalkbrenner consistently. And, uh, this feels like one of those games to me that's close for like three quarters of it. And then all of a sudden you look up and it's a 10 or a 12 point game and Creighton ends up winning by a margin that looks comfortable, even though the game was competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And I like what you said about how it's good that Providence kind of got their win against Seton Hall out of the way, because I feel like the Seton Hall team is finally hitting its stride. I think if this game was played a little bit later. It's going to be a lot closer game later in the year when Creighton goes back to Newark. Um, yes. But yeah, I think right now at this point of the year, um, Creighton's going to get this win against Seton Hall out of the way, and it's going to set up for hopefully a real nice rematch later this year. Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting one. Uh, if if these two teams had played a couple of weeks ago, I think Seton Hall is going to have a real decent chance too. If they get Creighton without Kalkbrenner, yeah, then I think there's there's, there's a lot more equal. But yeah, it's Seton Hall has the same issue St. John's does when it comes to half court offense and playing against a Creighton defense that's as good as this one has routinely been the last two seasons. That's never going to be what makes your offense click. Not unless we get something real weird going on in this one. So yeah, I, I'm going to take Creighton. To, to win and cover that Ken Palm spread there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a good number points, eight points. I'm reason I wasn't a math major, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I like that eight ish point, five, five to 10 is where I'm at. Creighton. Yeah. Uh, we'll move ahead here to Wednesday night. Wednesday night has the Fox sports double header. Once again, plus a late tip on CBS sports network. We're going to start with that first game, Villanova at Georgetown, 630 Eastern on FS1. Uh, I'm not even sold that Patrick Ewing is still going to be the coach for Georgetown once this game ends up happening. We'll see what goes on in the next coming hours and days. This is obviously one Villanova can't afford to lose. Do you think there's any way Georgetown can win it? I actually do. I actually do. And you go back to the Temple game that Villanova played on the road. Now, obviously, Temple's a better team than Georgetown, but not much better. And Villanova is, I think, tenfold the team that they were when they played at Temple. But Temple has two guys on their team, Caleb Battle and um, Dunn. I think his first name is DeMarco or DeMario. Don't quote me on that. I apologize, Mr. Dunn from Temple. But I know his last name's Dunn. So... They have the two pieces on the two guards that really just torched Villanova all night. And I think Georgetown has that in um, Primo Spears and Brandon Murray. Um, There is a world where Villanova drops this and the season's over. I mean, that's it. If Villanova loses, that's it. I don't see that happening, though. Um, Villanova's just way too talented. Uh, This isn't go in there, bring your C game, and just cruise to victory. They're going to have to earn this one. Um, But I think that this game is going to be a little bit more uncomfortable um, for Villanova than maybe some think. Yeah, that that Georgetown offense is good enough to keep the Hoyas in games, um, especially with that Nova defense. So I'd like you calling that out because that is a really interesting matchup. I think this could also be a get-right game for Villanova. I think this is one of those where they might struggle a little bit, and then they turn it on, and you really see the difference between the two teams. I'm going to take Villanova. I think they cover. I'll put this kind of like the Creighton-Seton Hall game where it might be closer than people think for most of it, but then by the end, the final score looks about how you would expect it to anyway. Uh, Before we move on to the next game, we have actually a little bit of breaking news here, not on the Patrick Ewing front, but just looking forward here. In the Big East, we were talking about St. John's, their non-conference schedule this year and how bad it was. Well, the Red Storm just finalized a home-and-home series with Texas Tech for next season. With uh, The first game will be at MSG next year, and then the return trip to Lubbock, Texas the year after. That's that actually that's a, a fun one. I like that. That was not the breaking news I thought you were going to throw out. My heart just sank. I'm not going to lie. I was like, no way you just called Patrick Ewing getting fired out on the podcast. 
Um, but no, that'll come out a couple hours later. <laughs> Just kidding, but maybe. I'm sure no, that'll I, happen I, right after we wrap this up. Oh, 100%. That's how it always works. But yeah, yeah I really like that that home and home for, for St. John's. It's ambitious, but uh, it's always good to actually play some teams before you go into conference play because you see what's happening when they don't. Yeah. Also interesting to see that happen with the Big East Big 12 battle still a thing. Uh, and it got extended. So the Big East Big 12 battle should also be played for both of the years that that agreement's in place with, with St. John's and Texas Tech. So I'm assuming one of those teams is probably, or both of those teams are going to be out for one of the years in the rotation anyway with that. But um, this means St. John's might get two Big 12 games in non-conference play one of these years. And Texas Tech might see two Big East teams. So some, something to monitor there. I like that. And I like teams scheduling aggressively. Uh, it, it makes it it makes everything more fun. Yeah. There definitely has to be some balance. Like you need to play a Stonehill or or a team above 300 in the Ken Palm rankings every now and then. But you definitely can't cakewalk your way to um, conference play because, again, you see what's happening with St. John's. And you're not, you're not going to fool everybody. You're not going to fool anybody. Everybody knows how meaningless the wins are. And yeah. Win total doesn't mean everything. This this right here is where Ken Palm and metrics like that can be important because if you're playing bad teams and you're winning, but you're not really playing that well in it, that can be that can tell you the difference between that can it can help evaluate the difference between, oh, they got a 12 point win against LIU and this team had a one point loss to Indiana. Well, one goes down as a win, one goes down as a loss, but that is not the full story when it talks about how actually productive either team is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right, let's get to our game of the week, which is going to be the next one here. The UConn Huskies, the now number four team in the country on the road yet again. They're going to travel to the Amp to take on the Providence Friars. This is the first time that these two teams have met in Providence with fans since UConn returned to the Big East. Uh, I got a couple notes here for you on this one. The first, last time I checked, the weather in Providence for Wednesday night is supposed to be warm, <laughs> high 50s. We may be looking at another slippery floor, sweaty floor type game. The fact that <laughs> in, that's in a big moment is embarrassing that you have to give a weather <laughs> report before this game. <laughs> hey, hey, didn't Villanova just have its own slippery floor issues on uh, on Sunday there, Saturday night? I don't know. I wasn't there. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they did. They did have their issues. So it's uh, it, it, this happens. But yeah, that's um, th that could be a factor here. A slippery floor is absolutely in the forecast. Uh, although I am, I am checking now and it looks like yeah, the current forecast, by the time this tips off at 8.30 Eastern, it might get down into into the 40s. If that's the case, I don't think we're going to have an issue. But, yeah, you know, you never know. You never know. The other thing, the thing that I think is actually more important to what's been going on on the floor, the Friars got off to that rocky start. Uh, Devin Carter, after their loss at TCU, tweeted out basically uh, kind of an apology to the fans say, this isn't who we are. You're going to see a different team starting the next game. Well, Friars have not lost since that point. They did not lose in December. This is two years in a row now that the Friars did not lose a December game. They're one of two 4-0 teams in the Big East right now. They are 7-0 since December 1st. Now, uh, if you guys know the Bart Torvik website, it's basically free Ken Palm. You can filter that by date. If you filter by efficiency starting December 1st, UConn, is the seventh best team in the country. Providence is the eighth best team in the country since that point. These are two of the hottest teams in basketball. They're going to be squaring off Wednesday night, and this is this is as interesting a matchup as we get in the Big East. And hey Matt, fill this out. Where ranked teams come to die. That uh, Devin Carter also tweeted that one out before Marquette game to Providence. That dude talks. Yeah. He told me uh, after the DePaul game, he told me his New Year's resolution is to win every game. <laughs> I think that should be every team's New Year's resolution. That's a real ambitious one. But yeah, I mean, give me Providence at home here. I mean, this feels like if you go back a uh, couple days, a couple weeks, it feels a lot like this Marquette-Creighton game where Providence is really seeming to hit their stride in UConn. Although they haven't looked, I mean, bad they do seem to be kind of cooling off from that red hot start 
that they had in the beginning of the year. So um, give me Providence at home in this one. I, this is going to be probably the best game of the month. Yeah, and this is a this is kind of a, a big opportunity for a get right game for UConn. Um, they, Dan Hurley's a good coach. They have to know that they haven't been quite playing up to their standard. You play play the close game against Georgetown. You lose to Xavier, and you you beat teams. UConn's been good. UConn has not been as good as the team that we saw win the Phil Knight Invitational. They've still been good. They haven't been at that level probably since that point, and that happens. They can play at that level. This is the chance where all right, you're on the road. People think you're going to lose. They think you're vulnerable. This is where good teams can oftentimes find that next switch and tap back into it again. I think we're going to see a very motivated, fired up UConn team come out in this one. What I'm interested in is that Xavier, I think, proves that UConn has some vulnerabilities in the paint. Is a Providence team that basically does not shoot the three ball, that lives off of offensive rebounds on the offensive end, and is one of the most efficient offenses in college basketball doing it. Ed Croswell is a monster with offensive boards, and the Ed Croswell-Adama Sanogo matchup becomes very interesting for me for this one, to see if Croswell can hold his own against the uh, presumed player of the year in the conference. Yeah, it's going to be a battle on the boards there. That's going to be fun to watch, and I think Bryce Hopkins is really going to be the X factor in this game. See if he can kind of stretch out some of those uh, smaller bigs on UConn. Him against Andre Jackson, I figure they'll Mm -hmm. most likely be on each other. That's going to be great to watch. And this is going to be a really good game. If you watch one Big East game this week, make it be this one because it is going to be just an outstanding battle between these two teams. And we're going to be getting into this one. Uh, it's going to be loud. It's going to be raucous. It's going to be rowdy. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see people filling that arena up as soon as possible. They're going to get the tall boys going. I know uh, Ed Cooley was uh, kind of calling for that after the DePaul games, and he wants to see the crowd getting into it for this game. And uh, It'll be a good test of composure now for Dan Hurley after what happened in the last one. If he gets, if he gets a technical in this game, the oh fans God. are going to lose their minds. And, it's going to be a test for UConn. How do you handle being in an environment like that? So, uh, obviously, the Cintas Center always rocking. They lost that one. Can they bounce back and prove that they can win in an environment like that? Uh, it's funny. You mentioned Bryce Hopkins. As of this moment, he is the second best player in the conference, according to Ken Palm. It is it's Adamo Sonogo, number one. Bryce Hopkins, number two. And that's with Bryce Hopkins not even playing his best basketball last week. So, Two of the best players in the conference are going to be going at it in this one. Two of the best teams. I think Providence should probably be ranked with a win. I don't think UConn should really be penalized for a loss here unless they look bad no. doing it. And yeah, could be a chance. I mean, the Friars start off five and zero here in Big East play. This is this is something. Yeah, who's uh, three, four, and five on Ken Palm? Do you have that up? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, three is. Uh, I told you I had it up and I was lying. Now I have it. Three is Eric Dixon. Four is Baylor Shireman. Five is Jack Nungy. Wow, two transfers. Yeah. yeah a couple that? of them in there. And it's, I think it's notable. Sule Boom isn't in there, but I think he could be. Klingon was in there, but has fallen out. Uh, a couple guys there who I think could, could make a showing. And yeah, it's quite a race there for player of the year and big man of the year in, in the Big East. Fun stuff going on. Excited, very excited for Wednesday night, eight thirty on Fox Sports One. It'll probably be uh, a little bit. We'll probably tip a little bit later than eight thirty. It'll probably be close to like an eight forty tip off if you're looking to tune into that one. So should be should be a fantastic, fantastic game. I'm actually going to predict that UConn wins this one, just because I don't. I think I don't even think it has anything to do with Providence. I think these two teams are very evenly matched. I think UConn is just a little bit better at most spots, except. Bryce Hopkins, and I think that defense is going to be good. And this just feels like feels like UConn's an elite team this year, and this is one of those situations where they just find a way to win. Yeah, nothing would surprise me in this game. I know I say that a lot, but it's honestly true. I think I'm going to give the edge to Providence just because they're at home. But yeah, this is going to be a great one. Yeah, and since the start of last season. Providence only with one loss on this floor, and it was to Villanova last year. That's it, and that was a close one. So Friars do not lose home games. Uh, they didn't play at this building in the COVID year or the year before that. They only lost three home games, and two of those were in the non-conference. So, no, sorry, only one was in the non-conference. Two came very early 
in Big East play, and they won all their ones down the stretch. So yeah, this is a building that's very tough to go into as an opponent, as hard as any building in the Big East. We'll see what happens. Let's talk about the late game here before we get out of here. The CBS Sports game on Wednesday night is going to be DePaul at Butler. This is an intriguing matchup. Um, I think this is a must-win for Butler to keep tournament hopes alive. This is a, a nice chance for DePaul to, pl- to bounce back and play spoiler and get a quality win against it, to get a win against a team that isn't Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like this is going to be a team of what team shows up. And Butler, in this case, is it going to be the team that just blew Georgetown out or is it going to be the team that just got blown out on their home floor? Um, nothing surprises me with Butler. They should win. Um, DePaul loves to get out and run and gun, but they can be a little careless when they do so. Um, and Butler's a good team uh, defensively, not really around the three-point arc. DePaul starts hitting stride there. Uh, that's going to be dangerous. That's I would assume would be DePaul's uh, game plan, their key to victory in this one. Um, but I'm still going to go with with Butler. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I, I like Butler this year and at home. This is... I, yeah, I think they're just a better team here. What could be interesting is if Caleb Murphy ends up coming back for DePaul. He's a really good defensive guard, and he could kind of be a difference maker. I don't know if he's ready for that yet. I'm not sure exactly where his health is, so if any DePaul fans want to let me know about that, please do. Um, but yeah, it's I'll take Butler. I don't feel great about it, but I'll take the Bulldogs. <laughs> it's like if you had to take one. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, that is going to do it. For this week's episode then our first episode of 2023 so make sure you guys keep listening we appreciate anybody that is come subscribe to our youtube so you can see our video content here make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this follow us on twitter we're going to have some articles coming out this week to it free view and recap these games to so follow along at our road to the garden website um, as always that is tommy godin i'm matt st jean we're going to be back with you uh later this week and as always thanks for listening